amazing passage. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises. So that through them you may participate in the divine nature. And escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will receive a rich welcome. You will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the best-selling books ever was written by a 17th century tinker. If you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, you should. It's a fantastic story, and it also happens to be an analogy of the Christian life. In the story, Christian... The main character sets off on an epic trek. First, he leaves home and he progresses all the way to the place of deliverance. At this place, atop its hill, stands a cross. And at the foot of this cross, Christian receives forgiveness from God. Interestingly, however, there are many more pages in the book. Christian continues. What we find in the rest of the story is that Pilgrim travels through many dangers, toils, and snares until finally he comes to the celestial city, heaven itself. It's only there, it's only then that Christian's journey is complete, that Pilgrim's progress is finally and fully made. You know, Bunyan was on to something. He was right about this. The Christian life is a journey from start to finish. From page one to the final page. It all begins, yes, with a journey to faith. When we come to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, and when we receive from the Lord Jesus by faith in him, That forgiveness of sins. But as precious as this conversion is, that's what we call it. As precious as this is, it is not the end of the line. The Christian continues. The Christian journeys on in their faith. Grows up in their faith. And becomes more like Jesus all the way to heaven. At least that's the theory. 
Peter's point in this passage is just this. The apostle is desperately keen that Christians who have started out in their journey will go all the way to heaven itself. That they won't rest on their laurels. That they will never sit back and say, well, I'm a Christian now. Well, I've been baptized now. That's wonderful, says Peter. But there's a long way to go. You know, there's nothing more tragic to find a Christian, even a baptized Christian, who a couple of years down the line is not progressing as a Christian. And so for just a couple of minutes, I would like to consider with you tonight what Peter says, what God's word says about our progress in the Christian faith. Notice two vital ingredients for our progress. Two things essential that we would advance as Christians. One, and this is so encouraging, God's abundant provision. Jill and Joyce, what a verse for you is verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. You know, you should know, that God has given you abundant provision for the journey. I didn't say ample provision. This is not ample provision. This is abundant provision. The text says that through his divine power, we have been given everything we need. There is nothing missing that is required. You never have that sinking feeling as a Christian that some resource is sorely absent. This isn't like your holiday packing. You know the sinking feeling? You pack the car, boot to the rafters, you're going away for a week's holiday. And then the question comes, have we got everything? Well, it kind of feels like we've got everything in the car. We've just put it in the kitchen sink. But you can't think of anything that's missing. So you get in the car, you travel four hours, you unpack the car, you sit down for a well-deserved meal. Could you pass the salt? No salt. Forgot the salt. And the food needs salt. And there's no shop. You know, in 20 miles, that's got salt. And then you find that there's no power adapter. And there's only one power socket in the whole place. There's never that experience in the Christian life. I'm so grateful that when it comes to God's provision, I never need to scour around the car. I never need to look around for some resource that isn't to hand. Or to put it specifically, God has given us his power and his promises. Would you meditate with me just for a couple of moments on these two resources? God has provided his divine power for your progress. Notice the inclusion of the word divine. It's not just his power, it's his divine power. In other words, this is almighty God kind of power. This is a power that comes from the one who is the ultimate energy provider. You know God's the ultimate energy provider. In fact, he is actually the only energy provider. The other guys just harness the power. God makes the power. He produces kilowatts of power for your home daily. 
He produces megawatts of power, such as what powers jet engines, fighter engines. He produces gigawatts of power, by which you measure uh, the most powerful nuclear reactors in the world. And that's not even to go up to the stronger stuff with the funny names. Terawatts, petawatts, exawatts, zettawatts, a new word I learned this week, yottawatts. It's the highest value. You can put a tag on the lighting rig for the Milky Way. Here's a thought for you. Every day, God lights up the Milky Way with yottawatts of power, and he never has an energy crisis. And the amazing thing is that this divine power is available to you. It's on tap to the Christian. Before you were a Christian, let me tell you something. You lived your life in the condition of a permanent power cut. You were powerless to please God, but now you have power to progress. His power, notice also, his precious promises in verse 4. Through these he's given us also his very great and precious promises. This just gets better. Not only do we have power for godliness, we have promises for godliness too. Promises by which you can, verse 5, participate in the divine nature, by which you can escape the corruption in the world. That's basically saying promises by which you can live pure and, and holy lives that please God. The power of God enables us and the promises of God encourages us that his power will come through in that moment of testing. John Piper writes really helpfully about the powerful resource of promises. Listen to this. Sin makes its attack by holding out promises to us for our happiness. Did you know that sin makes promises? That's why we sin, because it promises us some juicy pleasure. If you lie in your income tax return, you will have more money and be happier. If you divorce your spouse, you will be happier. You don't upset your relationship with your neighbor by sharing Christ. Here's another promise. You will be happier. And sin will always win the battle unless we have the luscious carrot of God's promises hanging clearly in front of our noses. Unless we enter each day armed with one or two precious and very great promises, we will be utterly vulnerable to temptation. Let me suggest to every Christian here this evening, something very obvious and something very practical. As you read God's word daily, take a hold of a promise. Take a hold of a promise that will help you fight against temptation and live for Christ. Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. And here's the promise. For they will see God. Do you want to see God in your daily life and experience? Stay pure. We hold out the promise and the luscious carrot is there for us and we trust in it. And God's power enables us. We've got God's power. We have God's promises. We have the wind at our back. That's God's power. And we have the word in our hand. That's God's promise. Peter calls it everything we need for life and godliness. Do you know something? The only reason that you could be ill-equipped this evening 
is if you are not a Christian. It's the only reason I can think of, in fact. See, if you're not a Christian, these resources to live a life that please God are not available. The power has not been activated. An unbeliever is like a light bulb without a power source. It's designed to shine. We're designed to live in a way that honors and pleases God, but there's no electricity supply. Trying harder isn't going to cut it if you're a light bulb without an energy supply. And dear friend, if you're in that position this evening, what you must do is get reconnected with the power source. Wonderful verse. If you look into the middle of verse 3, there's this little phrase that explains how you begin this life of power and promise. Through our knowledge of him. Through coming to know Jesus Christ. It's that simple. That's where it begins. We heard this, didn't we, in the testimony, something that's referred to here by Peter, that we're called by his glory and goodness. Now, these folks didn't come up here tonight and say to us that they had come to God on the basis of their own goodness. They didn't come and say that they deserved to know God. They came and they said, in actual fact, my life needed God. In myself, I was a mess. I was a a failure before a perfect and holy God. But they also came and they said, you know, Jesus is good. Jesus lived a perfect life. And he died on a cross and thereby, dying in my place, he died so that his goodness could be transferred to me. He took my place. They turned their lives around. We call that repentance. And they put their trust in Jesus. We call that faith. And that synergy of those two things is what reconnects us with God. That's how you come to know Jesus. And so if you're not a Christian tonight, I want to say to you, the first bit of progress you must make is to come to the cross. Is to come to that place where you can begin that relationship with Christ and get reconnected. Well, this is the first resource. When that happens, the Spirit comes to live within you and suddenly you're tapped in. But notice a second vital ingredient. Here's the second thing we need. We've got God's provision on the one hand, but don't miss this other important factor. We also require our active participation. Our active participation. God's abundant provision. That's His part. But there's also our active participation in the process of growth. It's it's an almost paradoxical combination. God grants us everything we need for godly living. But we also participate. God energizes by his power. Yet, in the words of verse 5, we make every effort. See, we need to utilize the provision that God has granted us. A couple of weeks ago, in the area where we lived, there was a power cut uh, throughout the whole area. So we had a bit of experience of this whole power cut thing. And it's amazing how reliant you are on power. You don't realize till you lose it. Fridge freezer, you know, the food's beginning to go off and there's no lights and there's no microwave, which is a personal disaster for my cooking. And uh, there's no household appliances. 
Thankfully, we only lost the power for about an hour. Suddenly, everything, radio and all that, blaring back on. Suddenly, we had, in that moment, the potential to tap into the power. For example, in theory, I could have gone into the cupboard and taken out the hoover and began to hoover all the carpets and all the rooms in the house. Those of you that know me know that I wasn't rushing to do that. See, power is required to hoover the carpets, but so is my participation. I've got to get the thing out and turn the switch on. And this is what Peter is saying in verses 5 to 7. God's power, indispensable. But our participation is vital. The call to progress in the Christian life comes to our door. We need to progress in faith. It's wonderful that we believe in Jesus, but we need to grow in faith, in goodness, in moral excellence. Yes, we're sinners. We're bad people saved by grace. But Jesus wants us to grow in becoming like him in goodness, in knowledge of God and his gospel. You should be learning year on year as a believer, growing in self-control, tempering your temper, controlling those sinful passions, perseverance. We heard something of that in the Testaments. Year by year learning how to write out the rough stuff that will come into our lives. Godliness, brotherly kindness, love to God and to people. We should be increasing in these things, says Peter. Don't be content to be one of those Christians who's a Christian just in name only. Be one of those Christians that is markedly so. The kind of person who, if you don't see them in five years and you meet them, they've grown. They've grown. One of the great things, you know, when you're in the same church for more than just a couple of years, we've been here five years now, is that you can actually see discernible growth in certain people. It's a great thing. I mean, real increase. In faith and in character and in knowledge and in all sorts of ways. Can people see that growth in your life? Will they see it a year from now? Wonderful to give testimonies. It was wonderful tonight to sit and listen to these. You know, your testimony shouldn't be the only way that someone knows you're a Christian. Your life should also tell the story. Do people know that your life is telling the story? Are you fleeing from sin in such a way that it's obvious you've been saved from sin? Look at this in verse 9. This struck me so hard this week. Because Peter says that if we are lacking in these qualities, he he says a pretty hard thing. He says that we're we're blind and we're forgetful. In verse 9, short-sighted and blind, and having forgotten that you've been cleansed from your past sins. Here's something very interesting. Most scholars think that Peter here is alluding to baptism. Because you notice a little word that he used. He's obviously pointing back to their conversion. But the language he uses is, he says, you've forgotten that you have been cleansed of your past sins. Probably referring them back to their baptism particularly. What is Peter saying? He's saying, listen, if you stop growing as a Christian, if you stop actively increasing in all these virtues, it's as if you've gone blind to right and wrong. 
It's as if you've lost your memory of your baptism. What a terrible thing that would be. We've got DVDs to take home, so hopefully you'll remember at least the physicality of what happened. But you understand what he's saying here, don't you? Don't live in such a filthy manner. It's as if you've forgotten you were ever washed from sin. I wonder if that's a message for someone here tonight. Not someone that hasn't been baptized, but someone that has. Maybe years ago. And you stood in this tank. And the whole symbolism of it was that you were cleansed from your sin. And yet now you're living a life that is almost like spiritual amnesia. God's word wants to jog your memory this evening. Of what you've been saved from. Of what you are saved for. And if you need any more encouragement, let me just finish with this. The results of progress. The results of progress. There's three. Verse 8. Progress will mean a productive knowledge of Jesus. You will not be one of those Christians just in name only. You'll be fruitful. You'll be productive in the way that you live. Verse 10. Secondly, progress will also mean a steady walk with Jesus. Not necessarily an easy walk, but a steady one. If you do these things, you will never fall. He doesn't say that you'll never sin, but he says you will never completely fall captive again to sin. You'll have a sure footing all the way to glory. And then thirdly, he says in verse 11, and this is maybe best of all, that progress will result in a rich welcome from the Lord Jesus into an internal Inheritance. I began by talking about Pilgrim's Progress. At the end of the the story, after much plodding, much difficulty, and much help that he receives along the way, Christian makes it. He makes it. That's how the book ends. He arrives at the city that shone like the sun, where the streets also were paved with gold, and in them walked many men, With crowns on their heads, palms in their hands, and golden harps to sing praises. That's the hope of every Christian. Every true pilgrim progresses, and every progressing pilgrim receives a rich welcome. I wonder tonight, do you have that hope and expectation? If not, then first of all come to the cross of Jesus. Receive that cleansing for yourself. And if so, rely on God's provision, trust in His promises, and pursue a life that pleases God, step by step. Because at the other end, Jesus is waiting to greet you. Let's pray. Father, this is Your Word to our lives tonight. We pray that you will help not only Joyce and Jill to progress far beyond this memorable and wonderful event, but help all here who are Christian pilgrims. And in your great love and generous mercy, bring others to the place where Jesus died for them, died to give life to them. May a new leg of their journey begin tonight as they put 
their faith in Jesus. Help us commit our lives to you now as we sing and thrill our hearts as we witness these baptisms. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.